Talking God with Uncle Luke. That's right. Talking God with Uncle Luke. This week, epic fail, man. Epic fail. Come on in. Let's check it out together. Luke chapter 22, verse 35 to 62. All the bubbas of the world. We got one mission in mind. Welcome to the Bubblical Channel. Always glad somebody is showing up because we like talking God, man. And we think that talking God, man, is the best thing you can do. And it's certainly the best thing I've learned how to do. It has absolutely changed my life for the better. Um, and I am pretty convinced it'll change everybody else's life for the better. So anyhow, um, the Bubblical Channel is where Bubba and Biblical meet. And we just have good conversations that the Bible itself is trying to have with us. Uh, life itself is about good conversations, and so God puts his big epic story you know, in our path so that we might actually begin to have big epic conversations that improve the quality of our life. Because the better the conversations we have, the better off everything else around us is, and the better we see things, and the better we understand things. So anywho, that's what we're on about. That's what we're trying to do. We just want you to read your Bible better and to help you along in that process to say your prayers, to, you know, get together and talk God. We want to get you away from the bullshit and into the holy shit so that you can start shooting the shit. That's right. That's the Bubba part. Well, anyhow, the, the uh, biblical part is the way God would say it is we want you to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, because that's God's will for your life in Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. God wants you happy. God wants you rejoicing. God wants you praying continuously. What does that mean? Does that mean getting on your knees? No. It means you got your mind on your God and your God on your mind. You know how that song goes with your money, but, you know, having God on your mind all the time is what praying, you know, continually or praying without ceasing is all about. So I think you can get there. And when you get there, it's just changes your perspective of life. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got a great story coming up because it's going to be a big role reversal. God is perfect at these role reversals. You might call them a paradox. You might call it, uh, well, call it what you will, but there's going to be a huge shift. I love the idea that something can be hidden in plain sight. And the reason why it can be hidden in plain sight is because it just doesn't fit the way that we see things. I love reading the book Uncle Tom, and I love he hearing how people misunderstand the book Uncle Tom. Um, I, I hear people using Uncle Tom as some sort of disparaging, um, you know, kind of phrase, you know, to really tear somebody down, to call them an Uncle Tom. And and I think to myself, hey, I wish somebody called me Uncle Tom because as I read the book of Uncle Tom, Uncle Tom's the hero of that story. And you, get, you know what? Uncle Tom is a Christ figure in that story. That's what makes him the hero. The way he goes about life may not be successful from this world's perspective, but from God's perspective, perspective, Uncle Tom is a success story. And Jesus sets up the narrative for all the Uncle Toms in the world. So please, please, please call me Uncle Tom because Uncle Tom had it right. The rest of the world has it wrong. The rest of the world's silly. But Uncle Tom has it right. And if you had read Uncle Tom's Cabin, shame on you. I didn't read it in high school either. I, well, I was a full-blown adult whenever I read it. And I was like, dang, I wish I would have read that or at least understood that back in high school. I'd been a better person. It wouldn't have taken me so long to catch up with uh, what God was doing. And, and finally, thank God, he slapped me upside the back of the head. Well, I'm rambling, so let's move forward. 
let's dive into our text. And the text is a big long one. It's Luke chapter 22, verse 35 to 62. And we're, we're probably going to just read it in some smaller chunks, but let me just give you the flow of this larger section. So we always want you to read your Bible. So go ahead, take it, you know, read it, you know, but uh, feel free to just listen to this first or afterwards. I don't care whatever makes more sense to you, but getting the text out there and understanding that this text comes to us packaged up in a great story. And the text is packaged up in this storyline of epic failure ahead. And an epic failure, you know, defines just about everything that's going on. So Jesus starts off this, this uh, little section here by telling the disciples, um, anybody that listens to him, they've kind of gone off on, on, onto their own. He's saying, hey, listen, get ready. It's going to go off right now. And what Jesus means by it's going to go off is, is that the scriptures, the previously written down word of God, the storyline of God is going to reach its high mark, its conclusion, its, 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 its kind of you know epic climactic moment, and it's going to be completely unexpected. Jesus has been forthright about this. The disciples don't want to hear it. That's been part of the humor, and that's part of the biblical humor that's going on, and part of the biblical humor that continues to go on. What God actually does, the world just wraps their mind. They're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. But it's right there plainly, and it's not hard to, to see and to understand. It's just not what we wanted. So it's hidden right there in plain sight, um, just like Uncle Tom is, is the hero of the story. So Jesus is the originator of being the epic hero in the vision or in the context of what seems to be epic failure. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows the Bible because, well, guess what? Jesus was there as the Bible was being written at every stage in every way. And this is what makes the Bible so unique. You know, Jesus knew that the, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 was really the son of the woman that was introduced to us back in Genesis chapter 3. And, and all of this is what we've been looking forward to. We're looking forward to a son of a woman that's Jesus, who is going to crush evil's head. And, and Isaiah jumps in about 700 years before Jesus, who knows how long after Adam and Eve. But 700 years before Jesus, a prophet by the name of Isaiah and his school, his, his accompaniment, you know, jump in and, and, and provide a bigger picture on what this son of a woman is actually going to do when he shows up to crush evil's head once and for all. And so Isaiah, you know, gives this picture of a suffering servant. Now, who in their right mind would think that a suffering servant is going to save the day? Who in their right mind would think that a suffering servant is going to be the hero? Well, God does. And that's how God lays it out. And he plays it out. And so it's been laid out for a long time, for 700 years. And Jesus sees it. He knows it. He's read it. He gets it. He, he knows his Bible. And we should know our Bible, too. So if you want to read Isaiah chapter 53, that will be helpful. We'll go through it, too. But that's what, the, you know, this all starts off by Jesus saying, get ready, here it comes. Meaning the epic, you know, conclusion of the story is about to unfold. And it's going to be a surprise ending. Well, in the 
in the midst of this story, we're going to find that, you know, it looks like Jesus fails. It absolutely looks like Jesus fails because Jesus is going to be hauled off and arrested. He's going to be numbered with the transgressors um, by the time it's all said and done. Um, also, it looks, you know, the disciples all fail him. All the disciples fail him. Judas, of course, we know he's a failure, and he does fail Jesus. And even our beloved Peter, the most beloved character in the New Testament, Jesus' best friend, he fails Jesus too. The whole thing is about failure, but in the middle of failure, will God succeed? That's the big question, and we can get, guess the answer is absolutely. And you're going to have to shift your brain and, and shift your narrative and shift all of your paradigms to really see the world differently after, you know, this is all said and done, because it's not the kind of success that the world's looking for that God demonstrates. In fact, God demonstrates his success in the middle of all of this failure. So this is epic failure, baby. That's what's coming along. The big story of God is epic from beginning to, to end here. End is coming. But the big story of God is also an epic in human failure and human achievement. It is remarkable how human beings have not changed, you know, from Adam and Eve. Everything that the Bible says about human beings, starting with Adam and Eve, and who knows how long ago that is, right? Um, humans haven't changed. The way that the Bible describes human beings, you know, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, you know, in Genesis, it's, it's still describing human beings today. We can't get away from it. The Bible knows us better than we do. God knows us better than we do. So in the middle of this epic, you know, a, a fail, epic failure of human achievement, you know, is God's big epic achievement. And that's going to be the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, let's just see how Jesus unravels this uh, or, un, you know, gets the story or the party going. Um, so it, it all begins when Jesus is talking with the disciples casually. You know, they've just had dinner, you know, that scene, the, the Lord's Supper. They've had dinner. They've had, you know, kind of a kerfuffle of, of argumentation. Jesus has settled them down. And now Jesus is kind of kicking back, and he's asking the question. He says, hey, when I sent you out with no money bag, uh, knapsack or sandals, and that's Luke chapter 10, when Uncle Luke was telling that part of the story, if you want to check it out, you can he says, uh, did you lack anything? And they're like, no, we didn't lack anything. So when Jesus had previously sent out 72 disciples, you know, to go out and preach the kingdom of God is near and to uh, perform miracles and all kinds of stuff. Um, he, he says, remember, you know, you didn't lack anything, did you? And, and I told you to take nothing. He says, I told you to take absolutely nothing. And everything worked out, didn't it? And they're all like, yeah, yeah, man, those are good times. Those are good times. And Jesus is like, yeah, those were good times. But then Jesus shifts the thing and he's like, okay, but now. And that means a shift is coming up. That means something's changing. He says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. Likewise, a knapsack. Um, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Go ahead and take a sword now. Why? Because everything is now changing. He is no longer going to, you know, make life easy for them. He is no longer going to, you know, kind of woo them with, you know, um, sending them out with, with no knapsack, no sandals, you know, no sword, and everything works out. He is now going to send them out just like he told them then. He says, I'm doing this because I'm, a, I'm, I'm ultimately sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he said, the wolf, you know, so Jesus' point is the wolf time is, is here. Do you think the disciples get it? The answer is no. 
But Jesus you know, qualifies what he says by saying, it is now time that Scripture must be fulfilled. And the Scripture that he cites is, and he was numbered, he quotes this, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. So, Anytime Jesus quotes a segment of the Bible, you should probably go back and read the whole thing. Specifically, this is Isaiah 53, 12, but it'd probably be a good idea to read the whole of Isaiah chapter 53 to, to see what Jesus is talking about. What is Jesus talking about that the Scripture must be fulfilled? That's what he's trying to get across to the disciples. Do they get it? The answer is no. They say, hey, here's two swords. Is that good? And Jesus is like, yeah, that that's enough. You see, they they have not listened. Their their question should have been, um, Jesus, could you repeat um, you know, the rest of that passage? What does it mean that you're going to be numbered with the transgressors? That's that's the question they should have asked. Instead, they're focused on swords. They're like, oh, we can take swords now. Oh, okay, let's take swords. I remember my, my, my boys, they love to play swords. And, uh, it was, uh, we have a good friend of the family who remembers meeting them for the first time. And, you know, he rolls up, he's like, Hey, how you doing? You know, and they're like, good. And they looked at, uh, the, you know, he's my age, you know, and they say, Hey, you want to play swords? It's, it's a funny line in our, our, but they were focused on swords, man. And the disciples are focused on swords. Why? Because they really think that Jesus is going to be that Christ, that David like, you know, King, that's going to start kicking butt and taking names. And they want to be a part of that. That's what they want to be a part of. Do they want to be a part of Jesus uh, fulfilling scripture that he's going to be numbered with the transgressors? No. And so what's their response? They plug their ears. That's all. And they say, well, okay, I'll focus on what I want to. Human beings have a selective hearing disorder. The disciples uh, are no different than we are. But let's address the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is this Jesus being numbered with the transgressors, which comes from Isaiah chapter 53. And in Isaiah 53, which was written 700 years before Jesus, so, so God, you can't blame him, God is trying to prepare Israel for how God is going to finish off his epic you know, storyline for all human beings. Not for Israel, but for all human beings. God is trying to also make it clear that Israel has failed as a, as a country, and he knew that was going to happen, but that's not going to keep God from succeeding. And the success that Israel is going to witness is in a suffering servant. And so Isaiah 53 is one of those passages all about a suffering servant is going to be the hero of the story, the hero of the story. And this suffering servant is going to, well, you know, set up future suffering servants like Uncle Tom, other heroes of other stories. And, and anyhow, the Isaiah 53 starts off with this you know, big question of to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that's a, that's a, you know, a, a statement of massive arm flexing you know, that God has. How is God's power going to be revealed? Well, then it, it kicks into he, a dude, had no former majesty, no beauty um, to be desired. He's going to be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, you know, I love that song, you know, right? Uh, a man of constant sorrows this is where it comes from. Anyhow, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Well, that's a head scratcher. But when he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. There's God's paradox. There it is, right there, ladies and gentlemen. That's God's epic plan, man. He's going to send a suffering servant, and Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I am the suffering servant that Isaiah tried to tell you about. And you have missed the point. And you're still missing the point, but that's okay, because God's going to be successful. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. You see, that's the condition of all human beings. We have all, like sheep, gone astray. And we have turned, each one of us, to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's a great little song, by the way, uh, by Colin Buchanan. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. Everyone has turned to his own way. Ba, ba, do, ba, ba. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. <laughs> Anywho, check out that song on your uh, uh, iTunes or, or on your um, Spotify. But uh, you can find Colin Buchanan and uh, the Ba Ba Do Ba Ba song. Anyhow, it concludes with, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. There you go. It's the will of the Lord to crush him because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressions. Ah, that's the plan, Stan. That's God's plan. That's God's big epic plan. That's what Jesus is talking about in this scene. And the disciples are comically focused on, hey, we got two swords. Is that going to be enough? Well, it does get funny. It does get funny. But before it gets funny, Jesus has a very serious moment. Jesus tells the disciples, he's like, hey, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. We need to all pray together right now. And uh, and and so the the attention that Uncle Luke you know draws us to in telling the story is on Jesus. Jesus says, hey, pray without you know ceasing because temptation is coming, baby. The, the, this part of the story is going to get ugly. And um, of course, we're going to find out. Well, but before we get, you know, the, before the camera goes to the disciples, we're focused in on Jesus. Jesus says um, in his own prayer, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, my, not my will, but your will be done. And there appeared an angel, you know, from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I don't know if you've cut yourself recently. I have. And uh, when you cut yourself, um, <laughs> I left I left a blood trail everywhere. You know, when you cut yourself, blood just starts dripping out. Drip, 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 drip. And so the, you know, the attention is, is you know, given to this is, you know, a tense moment. Jesus is severely stricken with the tense, the intensity of the situation. In his prayers, he understands the magnitude, the absolute magnitude of what's ahead of him. And he is not worried about suffering uh, in a physical way. In fact, you know, nothing about the account of Jesus Christ tells us that we ought to feel bad for Jesus. Now, nope, he didn't care about the suffering. He did not. What he did care about was the theological or the spiritual realm that was going to take place. And that spiritual realm is, is given to us in this idea when Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not your, my will, but yours be done. Meaning that the cup is what he is nervous about. 
the cup is what he would prefer not to drink. And so what is this cup that Jesus is talking about? Well, again, there are other prophets in the old part of the Bible that talk about this cup. And, and uh, we'll just go to Isaiah as one of them in Psalms uh, as well. But it's kind of in many places throughout the old part of the Bible. There's a cup out there. And so listen to Isaiah talking about the cup to Israel, the cup that God has um, in Isaiah 51, verse 17. Wake yourself, wake yourself. That's interesting, right? With today's woke terminology, right? Wake yourself. So being awake is a good thing. Bible talks about being awake. Wake up, man. Wake up. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. See, the cup is a cup of wine. Yeah, but it's a cup of God's wrath. And Isaiah says, you have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. And later Isaiah says, thus says the Lord your God, um, behold, I have taken from your hand, the cup of staggering, uh, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink it no more. Why? Because they couldn't drink it. And see, Israel as a people, you know, there, you know, most people just disregarded this passage and said, whatever, who, who cares about a suffering servant, right? Um, and, and, uh, and, and, the, and, and then, but the more serious people said, oh, well, that must be Israel. That must be us because we're the ones who are going to accomplish, you know, this salvation on behalf of the world. No, 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 no. They have to remember, Israel has to remember, they they failed to drink the cup. They could not drink the cup. Uh, Jeremiah points this out, too. He's like, you can't drink the cup. You can't drink this cup. This cup cannot be drank, man. You can't do it. Human beings can't drink this cup. We cannot face God's wrath. We cannot. That's it. We cannot. The Psalms pick up on this. Uh, Psalm 75, verse 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours it out. Uh, for on all of the wicked of the earth. This is a serious cup, ladies and gentlemen. It's the cup that Jesus fears the most. It, it's the cup that he does not want to drink because that is the wrath of God. But that is exactly what he plans to do. And he says, you know what? Even though I prefer not to drink this cup, like I, it makes me nervous as a human being. We're looking at the humanity of Jesus. He's like, this thing makes me nervous, but I trust in God. I trust the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we're seeing this interplay of both the, the humanly side of Jesus and the godly side of Jesus coming into play and saying, oh, man, drinking this cup is going to, oh, it's, it's, it's brutal. The wrath of God um, is brutal. It's not to be, you know, we, we sit on earth and we're like, yeah, what's God going to do about it? You know, I mean, you know, being all silly with it because, well, well, I could, you know, because it seems like God's never going to punish the wicked. The Bible says, don't be misled by that. There is a punishment for the wicked coming. Get on the right side. That's the message. God desires to be the God of salvation, not the God of judgment. But he talks about salvation. He, you know, rarely talks about judgment. But judgment has to be talked about in order to understand the, the real topic that God wants to talk about. And that is salvation. Salvation is a happy conversation. Salvation is what gets us praying and, and what gets us thankful you know, just like we talked about in the beginning, all the time, all the time, salvation and God saving us, man, that, that is what God, you know, says makes you happy. It changes your world. It changes the way you look at the world. And anyhow, so it is this cup that Jesus is agonizing against. And here's the deal. He will succeed in drinking the cup and drinking the cup will entail his own death. 
his own shameful treatment by human beings, um, and, and then the success will be seen when he rises from the dead. That's right. We know the story, ladies and gentlemen. I know we know the story, but we got to see how cool the story is. And we gotta we gotta get this story going in our mind all the time. We gotta have the story in a mind and a mind on a story all the time. And we have got to understand that that the leadership of God is what causes us to uh, appreciate and value the Uncle Toms of the world. They are truly the heroic, you know, part of this world. The ones who do not resort to swords and playing with swords. Uh, no, no. So playing with swords comes up in a minute. The first one to fail Jesus, though, is going to be G Judas. Um, or I'm sorry, all the disciples. Jesus comes out. He looks at all the disciples. He's like, you kidding me? He's like, are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you don't enter temptation, man. And, you know, they're all like, oh, right, right, right. Got to pray, which is just funny because it's, you know, it is, you know, just everybody's response when it comes to praying without ceasing. We know we know that we all fall asleep at the switch, you know? Anyhow, then Judas comes into the scene and he turns Jesus in. He's out there, you know, with, with the, um, um, the leadership of Israel and he, uh, he knows where they are. He, he, uh, uh, narks on Jesus. They, they captured Jesus. Jesus is like, are you kidding me? You guys, what are you doing out here? We were just praying. And he says, hey, don't forget, you know, I've been in the marketplace, um, you know, talking about this stuff for a long time. And, and now you're, you're going to treat me like a criminal? Well, okay, well, if that's what you got to do. The scripture is going to be fulfilled. Uh, anyhow, Jesus be, or Judas betrays Jesus with this kiss, the, you know, the left hand of fellowship. Um, and then, then it gets even, even worse because, you know, then, um, you know, the disciples, you know, stand up with their swords. One in particular, we know from other gospels, this is Peter. Our, we love Peter, man, because he just gets out there and messes it up. But anyhow, takes a swipe at the chief priests, you know, knocks off an ear. Jesus is like, stop it. And he has to put the guy's ear on. That's hilarious. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't read the Bible and laugh, you don't know how to read the Bible. That's what we're doing. This is a hilarious scene. No more of this, Jesus says, touches the guy's ear, heals him. Um, and why can Jesus do this? Because he's Jesus. He's God, man. That's that's why. But it's a it's it's just a fascinating part of the story that shows that Jesus is going to get this thing done, and he's not going to need any swords, and he's not telling us to pick up our swords. Now, the Bible is also very, you know, how I'd, how I, how would I say it? the Bible understands that defending yourself is a reality in this world. The Bible never tells us that we don't have the right to defend ourselves. We do have the right to defend ourselves. We just don't have the right to be offense-minded. You see where I'm going? No offense. No swords um, with offense. Defense, you know, it's understandable. It's part of this world. You're going to have to do it. Um, and that's what Jesus started this conversation. He says, everything's going to change now. Uh, I'm going to die. And, and in my death, you're going to have to carry a sword because you might have to defend yourself but do not do anything offensively in my name. There you go. Can't say it any simpler than that. Then the scene ends with Peter, our beloved. Uh, Peter, you know, jumps out. Jesus already told Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to, you know, betray me too. Peter's like, no way. Jesus is like, oh yeah, be before the rooster cries three times. And then, you know, Peter actually denies Jesus three times. Um, 
and and so that's how it goes. You know, uh, people in the crowd are, you know, so Jesus has been arrested. People in the crowd are identifying, you know, uh, uh, you know, the disciples and the, the scene focuses in on Peter. Peter is identified by several different people in the crowds and Peter denies. He's like, no, I don't know that guy. No, I, 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 it's not me. And then the scene ends with Jesus. He can see Jesus and Jesus can see him. And this little girl comes up to him and says, hey, you're you're one of his guys. And Peter's like, get away from me. No way. And then the rooster crows. That is good cinematics, my friend. That is good cinematics. Can't wait to see how The Chosen brings this all about because they've been banging it out of the park as far as I'm concerned, hitting home runs as far as, you know, helping us to catch a visual of the person Jesus uh, for me, I'd like Jesus to be a little less attractive because if you actually read in, in uh, as we just did, Isaiah 53, you know, Jesus always comes away as a very attractive guy. Uh, Isaiah said he wasn't a very attractive guy. Nobody else says anything other than Isaiah said he's not going to be a very attractive guy. So I think we need a lot less attractive guy, probably a little darker skin as well. But anywho, The Chosen is doing a fantastic job. Get out there and support The Chosen. I really recommend it. You know, they, they you know, that's that's the kind of thing we ought to be um, supporting. Uh, and that group of people doing commercials, I love that too. That's good stuff. I know it kind of roused the 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 Christian community somewhere like, but but but, and I'm like, ah, forget about it. It's it's good stuff. But anyhow, the scene closes in this great ending with this little girl and and Jesus, you know, looking at Peter and Peter just outright denying that he knows Jesus to this little girl. <laughs> uh, um, and and then and then G Peter himself goes to tears. He knows what he did. It's all done. You know, he he he. You know, but that's okay. See, Jesus is actually okay with it. Jesus was okay with Peter's failure, even Judas's failure. And, and it's also important to see that evil fails in all of this. Evil absolutely fails. And that's the point of the story. Evil fails. Hook your wagon to Jesus Christ, to his death and resurrection, the hero that Uncle Tom emulated himself after, is the hero that God gives us in Jesus Christ. It's right there in front of everybody for anybody to take a look at and uh, to, to hitch their wagon to Jesus Christ. Well, that's all we got for you this time. We'll catch you next time.